For Pacifica Radio, August the 10th, 2023, I'm Scott Horton. This is Anti-War Radio. All right, y'all, welcome to the show. It is Anti-War Radio. I'm your host, Scott Horton. I'm the editorial director of Antiwar.com, and I'm the author of the book, Enough Already, Time to End the War on Terrorism. You can find my full interview archive, almost 6,000 of them now, going back 20 years at scotthorton.org and at youtube.com slash scotthortonshow. And you can follow me on Twitter or whatever you call it, if you dare, at scotthortonshow. All right, so welcoming back to the show the great Ted Snyder. He writes for us at antiwar.com because he writes such great stuff. Only I'm a little jealous. This one is for responsible statecraft. It's called the Poland-Belarus border is becoming a tinderbox. I don't want to know that, but that's why you're here. Welcome, Ted. How are you, sir? I'm good, Scott. How are you? I'm doing good. So tell me the bad news here about Poland and Belarus. Well, the bad news is that the situation is really tense on the Poland-Belarusian border, and um, Poland's a NATO member, so so that's always really really scary. So what's kind of happening is that one of the one of the biggest dangers of this war, aside from the horrible loss of you know life and everything in in, in Ukraine, um, has been the escalation of the war, and that you know it could go nuclear or. Um, it could become, you know, a NATO Russia war or a World War III. And, and Biden's been really, really clear. He's repeated a number of times that we will not fight the Third World War in Ukraine. And although that's so far worked, you know, there's this danger of this all going really wrong, not on the Russian-Ukraine border, but on the Poland-Belarusian border, where you've got um, the, the Russian Wagner forces that have just been exiled from Russia into Belarus and they're massing on the on the Belarusian side of the border, and there's Polish troops massing on their side of the border, and that's a very tense, dangerous situation. And um, no one really knows for sure whether these are, you know, threats that could actually happen, or the two countries are kind of um, posturing to act as a deterrent from the other one getting more involved, but. Whenever you've got two, you know, two sides pointing guns across each other at a border during the fog of war, that's it's a dangerous situation. And of course, the the danger is if, um, you know, if Poland gets attacked or Poland gets drawn in, then Poland can invoke Article Five, and you know, we could end up with a NATO-Russia war. We could end up with World War Three. Yeah, uh, I believe it was in your piece. You said that the border guards there asked for a thousand more men, and the government gave them two. Is that right? Yeah. So, so when I wrote the piece, um, it, it, the the number was a thousand. Um, when I, you know, when I wrote the piece, and and the concern there was, was Poland was saying that that they're worried that um, if you've got these Wagner troops on the border, that some of them could slip across the border in disguise, just as you know, Belarusian immigrants, and and infiltrate into Poland where they could do sort of provocative actions. And the border guard asked. Um, Warsaw for a thousand more troops than the New York Times reported yesterday that that Warsaw has actually doubled that. And within the next couple of weeks, they're going to respond by sending 2000 more troops. And there's already a massive troop buildup. So um, it's just it's just not a good situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's anti-war radio talking with Ted Snyder here. And as you said, hey, look, 
probably the polls' idea is, hey, they just want to build up a defensive force in order to make sure now that they're all these Wagner uh, guys are now in Belarus after their failed little mini putsch there against the military leadership in Russia. That hey, we're just being safe. But of course, from the other side of the border, looks like a buildup, and so. The- so it's the same on both sides. You know, the Americans swore from the time of Obama through Trump and into Biden that all the weapons they were giving Ukraine were only defensive, except that's what provoked the war. So what the hell? And Scott, neither side knows um, whether the other is serious or not. So you've got you've got um, Alexander Lukashenko going very publicly on TV saying that the Wagner forces are itchy to go into Poland. And, and on the other hand, you've got the worry that um, Poland could capitalize on an, on an alleged Russian aggression to attack into Belarus. So you've got, you know, both sides worried the other side's going to a, going to attack in. And the, and the thing is, Scott, that, that the stakes are high for two reasons. One is that Putin's taking it seriously. And, and whether it's because Putin's really afraid of it or whether he's giving a warning, nobody knows. But he took the very unusual step of going, like, onto television very publicly and making it clearly known that he would consider a Polish attack on Belarus to be an attack on the Russian Federation. And he said, and I'm quoting, we will respond to that with all the resources available to us. And he called what Poland was doing an extremely dangerous game. So, so here's Putin saying that if Poland were to go into Belarus, that would draw a response from Poland, from Russia against Poland, which mm-hmm. could trigger a NATO war. Um, and and so so that's a, that's a really dangerous thing, right? And and it's not it's not just hypothetical, Scott, because there's already been a couple of um, a couple of events. Um, Poland has has accused Belarus of of redeploying the Wagner forces specifically to destabilize NATO's eastern flank, and they've said that their response to that's going to be to you know massively deploy troops to the border, and just uh, I guess it was. A week and a half ago now, the beginning of August, Poland actually accused Belarus of crossing their border with military military helicopters, like an airspace violation. And in response, they rushed more troops to the border and they sent combat helicopters to the border, too. Very tense. Belarus says they didn't violate the border and they've they've counter accused Poland of of fabricating the incident to justify this buildup. But you've already got this one. Um, kind of claim of an incursion. And then, as you said, there's the buildup on the border with with fear of, you know, um, Wagner people, you know, infiltrating, coming in. Now, I should say, Scott, that, that as scary as this is, um, when I speak to um, people who are really expert on the situation, the consensus seems to be that they find it hard to believe that either side would have the audacity to be the one that attacks first, that the the evidence that we have so far, I'm told, which is very limited, is that Wagner forces would be very unlikely to strike into Polish territory unprovoked. And I think it's important to remember that as much as Biden has said he wants to avoid a NATO-Russia war, Putin's also been very careful to avoid a NATO-Russian war, and he's not going to be looking to um, just let somebody slip into Poland and and start, you know, start a much bigger war. Um, The second thing is that this would not be popular for NATO. NATO doesn't want to get drawn in. And it'd be very unlikely that sort of Poland would go rogue and defy the other NATO countries and just 
go in on their own. Um, and the third reason is that it's it's highly unlikely that Poland would go behind the U.S.'s back and do this without U.S. permission. If something of like this were going to happen, it would probably be, you know, more likely to be U.S. call. So, Scott, that raises the question that if it's if it's not likely to happen, then then what exactly is going on? And and one possibility is that is that we don't know that maybe one of the sides is considering something. But the other one is that they're both just sending a really strong message that that Poland is building up the troops as a deterrent to really warn Russia and Belarus that you better not expand this war, mm-hmm. you know, by bringing Belarus in. And on the other hand, that that Putin is very publicly warning um, NATO that they had better not escalate by moving into to, to Belarus. So so on the one end, you might have one side, you know, trying to keep Belarus in Belarus and the other side trying to keep um, Poland and NATO from getting more involved in the war. So either way, there's something very provocative going here or some very strong messages of deterrence because the other sides are both afraid. And mm-hmm. so either way, it shows how serious the fear is on both sides of escalation on the border. Right. Well, and look, I think the Occam's razor simplest explanation there, Ted, that everybody's just trying to be extra defensive and careful is the easiest explanation for it. But the point is that it's the same difference. It works the same way and it can be seen as being just as provocative by each side, too. And it's funny, too, about these alliances, you know, Article 5, the way the thing is written, it doesn't say, hey, by the way, you know, if a NATO country starts a war, then that doesn't count. Right. Mm-hmm. Like if you go, if mm-hmm. Poland hits uh, Belarus first, then Article 5 is canceled. Um, and it's also worth pointing out because there's a whole mythology about this. People should read the treaty. Mm-hmm. If a NATO member is attacked, then all of the member states are obliged to figure out what they think they might want to do about that. I'm roughly paraphrasing, but it does not say we must go to war. And, of course, they don't have the authority to decide that for the U.S. Congress anyway. Right. Well, I think that's being debated right now. I think you probably know more than I do, but I think there's some debate right now in Congress about whether Article 5 would override Congress or Congress would override Article 5. But that's not something I know very much about. Well, in fact, let me let me um, say real quick that Rand Paul, the senator, tried to pass a resolution saying, yeah. hey, just because something happens here, this treaty does not override the Constitution. And everybody else shouted him down. But yeah. their argument was that, of course, it doesn't. And we don't even need a resolution to say that or remind anyone of that, that, of course, the responsibility, the responsibility would still be on Congress to authorize war. Now, they'd never declare war again. They authorize the president to decide. But, yeah. um, but it's a you know, it's a it's a it's a dangerous situation because whether this is just meant to be a deterrent or not, as as one very knowledgeable person I spoke to said, you know, Poland has been incredibly hawkish within NATO with regards to this war. And and he was saying, you know, the other out, the other NATO members are going to be very careful not to get dragged in further because it's not clear that, that Poland and Ukraine don't want to drag NATO in. I mean, some scholars think that Ukraine's intention or hope all along is that they can draw NATO in. And, and Poland's been one of the most assertive proponents of of getting Ukraine into NATO. And they've also been one of the most assertive proponents of getting NATO more involved in the war. I mean, it was Poland that first really pushed hard for tanks and pushed really hard for fighter jets. And, you know, the, the thing is, with Poland trying to get Ukraine into NATO and that being frustrated, Ukraine's 
not in NATO after the last NATO summit, and with with Poland trying to get um, NATO more involved so that Ukraine can win the war and the chances of winning the war are getting fainter and fainter, then there's this fear that maybe Poland would try something more direct to draw, you know, Ukraine into NATO or NATO into Ukraine. And, you know, one way they could try to draw Ukraine into NATO would be, and again, this is at the level of speculation and rumor, but, you know, there's 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 people saying that, you know, Poland and Ukraine could make a joint force in Western Ukraine. And then if when Russia attacked Ukraine, they ipso facto be attacking Poland and Poland could call Article 5 and draw NATO in that way. Or even, and this is something that, that Putin and Lukashenko have talked about, and there's a lot of kind of buzz among us amongst analysts, but nothing, nothing at all and anywhere near the level of official is, is the possibility that there's been talks of um, Poland and Western Ukraine, if Western Ukraine's all that survives the war, of, you know, forming some kind of um, union or association and then trying to draw Ukraine into NATO that way by saying, you know, Poland's part of NATO and now Ukraine and Poland have this association. So Poland, so Ukraine's part of NATO. But, you know, again, it's very unlikely that NATO would allow Ukraine to be indirectly drawn in that way. But Poland's been very hawkish. And so this buildup on the border um, it's scary. And Scott, suppose it is deterrent. Even if it is deterrent, that means it's because both sides are afraid of the other. I mean, if Poland's trying to deter the Wagner forces, that means they're afraid the Wagner forces might come in. And if and if um, if uh, Lukashenko's deploying the Wagner forces on the border, it's because he's afraid that Poland might take advantage of some kind of, you know, false flag or fabrication to attack. And so you get these kind of um, itchy troops massed at the border um, during the confusion of fog of war, where mistakes can happen and miscommunications can happen, and you just don't want that border to be to be militarized and armed like that, when when you know behind Poland and and Belarus is is NATO and Russia, mm-hmm. um, and that's exactly what everybody's been trying to avoid. Mm-hmm. So, well, in Belarus aside, Ted. Isn't it right that I mean, there's a danger here. There's been kind of rumors of irregulars anyway, but. Um, isn't there a danger that Polish troops might just intervene on the side of Ukraine against Russia? So, so there's there's of course been been talk about this, and um, I think you need to look at this in in a couple of different ways. One is, I'm not a military analyst, Scott. I don't have access to this stuff. I don't even know what I'm talking about. Um, military analysts say, though, if you listen to the chatter and stuff over intercepts and stuff like that, you hear a lot of Polish spoken. Um, and Putin, I believe, I may have the number wrong, Scott, because this is off the top of my head, but Putin at, at different times has claimed, I think, that perhaps as many as 15,000 um, Polish mercenaries under the, I think he said, under the direction of Polish intelligence are in the war. So there's 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 been talk of a lot of Polish soldiers, um, you know, being being in the war already. And and there's been there's certainly been talk about about Poland preparing to do what maybe NATO is not prepared to do, and that's to step in and fight on the Ukrainian side if it becomes clear that Ukraine is would actually be about to lose, or possibly even step in and, and you know occupy Western Ukraine if that is about to lose. Which Putin seems to be fine with, by the way. I mean, Putin's kind of said, if you want. Western Ukraine after the war, take it. Um, Lukashenko has suggested that 
he's not okay with NATO butting up his border like that. But it's hard to know again what of this is posturing and what of this is policy. But um, but yes, certainly there are already fears that that Poland is over involved in the war. Hang on just one second. Hey, y'all, the audiobook of my book, Enough Already, Time to End the War on Terrorism, is finally done. Yes, of course, read by me. It's available at Audible, Amazon, Apple Books, and soon on Google Play and whatever other options there are out there. It's my history of America's war on terrorism from 1979 through today. Give it a listen and see if you agree. It's time to just come home. Enough already. Time to end the war on terrorism. The audiobook. Hey guys, I've had a lot of great webmasters over the years, but the team at expanddesigns.com have by far been the most competent and reliable. Harley Abbott and his team have made great sites for the show and the Institute, and they keep them running well, suggesting and making improvements all along. Make a deal with expanddesigns.com for your new business or news site. They will take care of you. Use the promo code SCOTT and save $500. That's expanddesigns.com. Man, I wish I was in school so I could drop out and sign up for Tom Woods' Liberty Classroom instead. Tom has done such a great job on putting together a classical curriculum for everyone from junior high schoolers on up through the postgraduate level. And it's all very reasonably priced. Just make sure you click through from the link in the right margin at scotthorton.org. Tom Woods' Liberty Classroom. Real history. Real economics. Real education. All right, it's anti-war radio here on KPFK in L.A., and I'm Scott Horton, and we got to stop and do some fundraising for a minute. Everybody, if you like listening to anti-war radio and all the great programming here on KPFK, you got to support. We don't do ads, and we don't have corporate sponsors either. You know, you listen to NPR News, and they go, sponsored by Archer Daniels Midland. Oh, but we're totally nonprofit public radio, though. Yeah, well, we don't have that here at KPFK. We're just supported by regular people like you. And it takes a lot of little donations to keep this thing going. And by the way, if there's any rich Hollywood people out there who got millions of dollars and nothing to do with it, we could use your support too. It's uh, kpfk.org to find out all the information. And they took down the phone number from the website, so I don't know what's going on with that. I won't give the old uh, phone number here. But we're sure happy to take your pledges and donations at kpfk.org. O-R-G. Did you know the KPFK signal is the biggest FM signal west of the Mississippi River? Grandfathered in from, I don't know when, a long time ago, the 40s, I guess. And the name Pacifica, of course, is not in regards to the calm blue ocean. This is an anti-war radio station. That's what we're here for, is to oppose American aggression and imperialism in the world. And, you know, I should mention, too, we got these repeaters all over the place. So we, we're down, uh, KPFK is down in San Diego, up in Santa Barbara, in Ridgecrest, in China Lake. And, and I'm just so grateful. I think of every moment on the radio as just absolutely precious as gold or better. And that's why when I do this show, I only talk about the absolute most important things going on in the world. I'm very grateful to KPFK for giving me an opportunity over these years to do so on their airwaves. So if that's how you like it, you got to go to kpfk.org and figure out how much you can afford to part with to help support KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. All right, now back to my great guest. It's Ted Snyder from antiwar.com and the Institute. And Ted, I got to tell you a story here, man. 
I was on the Twitter yesterday, as I am often want to do, and David Beard, who used to be a Washington Post reporter, I'm not sure what happened to him, but he's still on Twitter, decent guy, and he tweeted this article out from the Forward, that's the Jewish Daily Forward, and it's about this group of American neo-Nazis up in Maine, and there's been a real rise in you know, white supremacist groups in America and somewhat in their violence. I don't know about all the statistics. I know it's definitely a major moral panic on the liberal left in this country is the rise of groups like this. I think there is some danger there. Uh, we've seen that, although some of it's just polos and khakis and nerds with tiki torches, which is not so threatening. But um, these guys certainly are. It's this uh, training camp up in Maine. And Get this, man. I was just joshing around on Twitter, and I said, hey, are these guys going to go and fight on the Eastern Front with the Azov Battalion and C-14 in Ukraine? And what happened was, first of all, a friend of mine who's a reporter who really knows all about this, he linked to an article in The Intercept about these guys where they said that that was their goal, all right? But then even better, the actual Nazi in question, his name is Paul House. He responded to my tweet and said, yes, actually. And he used the emoji of the like warm, smiley face with the three little hearts. And so Kyle Anzalone at the Institute, our good friend, uh, wrote up this piece. It's called American Neo-Nazi Training Forces in Maine to Fight for Ukraine. And he went and found even more evidence of this as well. And so this just, to me, ought to be the hugest of wake-up calls to the American, you know, moderates and liberal Democrats, and then especially to progressives and anyone to the left of them, that no matter how many times you heard that this was Russian propaganda, it's true that you have extremely uh, large numbers of very far radical right-wing forces, white supremacist Nazi groups in Ukraine, many of them the direct descendants of those who served Hitler in the Second World War. And you got Americans going to join them and have been ever since 2014. But this group right now, the same group featured in the forward yesterday, wants to go fight for Joe Biden in Ukraine tomorrow. Yeah. And if and even if the numbers, even if the actual numbers um, in Ukraine aren't so high, the power that they wield, as as Zelensky found out when he tried to um, make peace with Russian nationals in the Donbass, um, the power is extreme. And, you know, there's there's, there's, wait, tell us those stories, would you? Because I think most people don't know about that. Well, you know, in the in the the Minsk agreements, when you know there was a, a real chance for peace by by um, allowing the Donbass to stay in Ukraine, but providing it with a, a high degree of autonomy that would you know let them be more or less within Ukraine, but self-ruling and protect the Russian nationalists. And and Zelensky got elected um, in large part on a on a platform of making peace with Russia and signing the Minsk Accords. But he faced unbelievable resistance from the nationalist movement in Ukraine um, to the extent that there's no way he could have gone ahead with his promises without um, support from especially the U.S., but also um, from from France and Germany, who were the the co-signers of the Minsk Accords. And and um, the states didn't pressure or back him at all. They left him to hang the, the nationalist 
you know, threatened and overpowered him and Zelensky had to back down. There's, there's an argument, Scott, that this war never would have happened if it hadn't been for the disproportionate power of the nationalists in Ukraine derailing Zelensky. And not just Zelensky, there's a, there's a, there's a famous quotation in Ukraine, and I, I, I don't have the top of my head because I know we were talking about this, but there's a, there's a famous quotation from a former you know, Ukrainian official who says that every Ukrainian president comes to power intending you know, to be the one to make peace with the Donbass. And within a couple of weeks, the nationalists have turned every one of them into a, into a, you know, a far right nationalist yep. that, that opposes the, the Russians. And Scott, one of the reasons it's interesting in the story we were talking about before too, is that, is that the only people that these um, ultra right wing nationalists hate more than the Russians or as much of the, as the Russians um, has historically been the Poles. And and that's one of the problems with this whole sort of Polish-Ukrainian cooperation is that there's actually, there's a very public facade in the world right now that Poland is Ukrainian's very, very, very best friend. But behind that facade, there's massive trouble. And, and one of the trouble is that the same nationalists who don't want to be part of Russia um, don't want to be part of Poland. And, and the other thing is that the Poles are very mad at Ukraine for glorifying this history still. When, when, when Ukraine glorifies Stefan Bandera, the, the Poles are very quick to remind them that he, as, a, as a, a right-wing nationalist militant, he didn't just kill Jews and Russians. Um, he killed Poles. Yeah, that's and, and, why it's not Poland anymore. It's because he killed 50,000 of them or something and drove it, them out. It, it, well, it was it was twice that. I mean, in it's very you know in January, um, a, a Polish official reminded Ukraine that when they continued to glorify nationalist leaders like Stefan Bandera, um, he said that that these guys were responsible for a genocide of the Poles in World War II, and he he said they killed a hundred thousand Polish citizens. And Scott, recently the Polish Parliament actually adopted a resolution saying that reconciliation between Poland and Ukraine. Um, is conditional on Ukraine recognizing mm. the guilt of a genocide of the Poles, and and this is this is yeah. and so this has actually kind of exploded recently too because there's been this kind of blow up between Poland and Ukraine because Ukraine's very mad at Poland for for controlling how much Ukrainian grain can go through and they got mad mm. and um, a Polish official took to the television and. Um, screamed at Ukraine that they need to be more grateful to Poland for the help they've given. Ukraine got mad and called the Polish ambassador in, and the Polish president said that was a huge mistake. You never should have done that. Um, so there's behind the sort of public facade, there's very deep problems between Poland and Ukraine. While Poland's massing on the Belarusian border to help Ukraine, behind the scenes, there's also very big rifts between Poland and Ukraine. Mm. Well, you know, that's how Bandera got his start, was assassinating anybody who was trying to make peace. Mm. <laughs> um, that's kind of their way. So listen, and as you were referring to with the threats against Zelensky and Poroshenko before him, they said, look, we overthrew the last government, we'll overthrow you. And then when it came to uh, Zelensky, it was Beletsky, the leader of the Azov Battalion, said, oh, if he tries to implement Minsk too, mm -hmm. he'll be mm -hmm. hanging from a lamppost on, mm -hmm. I, I forgot how to pronounce it, but it's the main drag in Kiev. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And, and as the New York Times said, that's a credible threat. That's not yep. like some redneck in Alabama threatens Biden. Yeah, right. He's not getting anywhere near Biden. The New York Times said, hey, 
when the Nazis threaten the president of Ukraine, he's really got to take that into account, you know, because he has entire divisions of them in his military and stuff like that. Anyway, I'm sorry, very last subject here, and very quickly, we have to wrap up, but NBC and then the Moscow Times both ran stories about these back-channel civilian talks going on to try to keep the war on the rails and from going off them. But then there's still crazy talk of regime change, even from, I guess, it must be Richard Haas blabbing to the Moscow Times there. Can you tell us your most important point about uh, what you've learned there? Yeah, it was very strange. There was this talk of these these sort of back-channel talks between former U.S. officials and people close to the Kremlin. It turns out that that these talks are ongoing and frequent, maybe sometimes a couple of times a month, with, and that it may actually with very high-ranking members of the Kremlin. And, and you get the, these American former officials saying that they're saying a lot of things behind closed doors that aren't said publicly, like we do need to respect Russia's security concerns and maybe we were partly responsible for the bad relations and all the things that you kind of are glad to hear. But then sort of like buried at the very, very sort of end of it, you get this sort of scary. And, we, and, and again, you know, these guys are talking to the states. They're not they're not American officials. This is not sanctioned. They do report apparently what's happened to the White House. But. Um, saying that, you know, Putin's the one that's really the roadblock and that they need to be, you know, talking to sort of other people. And if they get, you know, the right kind of response, then, you know, regime change could be a, a possibility. And so you get this um, weird behind doors talk that, um, that that the idea of regime change is still on the border. They, the, the line they said was that they should begin reaching out to anti-war Russian elite and begin making progress with them. And if they find fertile soil, then, quote, ousting Putin would not be impossible. Um, again, and this is the not... guy doing the negotiations. Yeah. Now, they're not they're not saying that to the Russians, I, I assume. Um, but but and again, only to the Moscow Times. I'm sure they don't yeah. read that at the Kremlin, yeah, you and, know. And, and, and again, this is not don't get me wrong. This is not anything <laughs> official. U.S. The U.S. says they're not sponsoring these back channel talks. But but these what they call these one point five back channel talks where you get like unofficial Americans and official Russians talking. And a lot of what they're talking about seems really, really positive. And then the guy comes out and says that, you know, we should begin talking and. He said ousting Putin would not be impossible. So it was just kind of shocking to me to see at the end of this thing that at this unofficial level, the idea of regime change is still something that is being talked about or explored. Again, not officially. These are these are former officials, but very, very strange stuff. Yeah. All right, you guys, that's the great Ted Snyder. He's at antiwar.com and over at the Institute as well. Thank you so much for your time, Ted. Thanks so much for having me, Scott. It was great. All right, you guys. That's been Anti-War Radio for today. I'm your host, Scott Horton. Find the full interview archive at scotthorton.org and follow me on Twitter at Scott Horton Show. And I'm here every Thursday from 2.30 to 3 on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A. And stop by kpfk.org and support, too. And thank you.